1: In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence.
0: Hey there, and welcome to episode 178 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, visibility in a remote world. Appearances can be deceiving. I recently came across an article in The Economist from my favourite columnist, Bartleby. It was titled, The Rise of Performative Work, and as this column often does, it exposed some of the ridiculousness of corporate life. Since the pandemic forced us into remote working, so the thesis goes, work for many has become performance art. It seems that many people are now pursuing the goal of appearing to be busy rather than actually delivering real, valuating work. The activity becomes the end rather than the means to an end. Now this is nothing new. There's always been a fair share of people in the office environment that did exactly this, appearing to be busy while achieving little. But for leaders, it's become even trickier to identify and deal with it than it has been in the past. How can you tell when someone's replacing real work with demonstrations of their own busyness? We all like to think that we'd be able to spot this a mile away as leaders, but Sometimes it's more complicated than we might imagine. Today's episode is all about recognising and managing those in your team who are potential Oscar nominees for the award of Best Performance in a Work Role. But also, as No Bullshit Leaders, we're really serious about eating our own dog food, so this also provides an opportunity for us to reflect on the things that we do to busy ourselves that might allow us to avoid the hard work of leadership. I'm going to open with a look at how we should identify performance and potential in our people. I'll then explore why this is harder in the world of hybrid work, and I'll finish with a few ideas for cutting through performative work to get to a real understanding of who's doing what. So let's get into it. How do we identify performance and potential? Well, I've touched on this in past episodes, but I've never really dealt with it in detail. One really useful episode is one of my oldies, Building Organisational Capability Part 2. It's episode 24. But we also have, obviously implied by the name, Building Organisational Capability Part 1. So, episodes 23 and 24, respectively, are definitely worth a listen. Since one of the core functions of a leader is to build organisational capability, these two are pretty much required listening for any no bullshit leader. If you haven't listened to these before, Or even if you just haven't listened to them for a while, I'd strongly recommend that you do that before you forget. So either find them in the back catalogue of your favourite podcast player, or you can get them by going to yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 23 or forward slash episode 24. Identifying potential has long been a bit of a black art, but even evaluating performance can be quite difficult. With performative work, both performance and potential come into play. Now, the organisations that are best at this have a structured process for evaluating potential and performance, and this is often called talent and succession planning. In well-run processes, when managers rate their people, they have to provide evidence and justification of any rating bestowed upon them. There's a clear distinction between performance and potential. Performance looks backwards. What did this person achieve and how did they achieve it? How did it compare to our standards? And was it above the minimum acceptable standard? Was it exceptional? Was it below expectations? Potential looks forward. What are they likely to do in the future based on their past performance and some other observable indicators? Now just remember there's no potential without performance, so you need to start there. Evaluating performance has to be done in a structured way so that it isn't unduly influenced by our inbuilt biases and perceptions. For example, we will always have a tendency to rate someone we like and get on with above someone that we don't click quite as well with. Now it's unavoidable, and the best weapon in our arsenal to combat this is the knowledge and acceptance that these biases are present in all of us. There are three main ways to ensure objectivity in performance evaluation. The first is, use a structured performance evaluation framework. Many leadership books and studies suffer from the problem of not establishing clear criteria up front, dependent and independent variables for those of you who know your statistics. Thus, the conclusions suffer from attribution bias, looking at an outcome retrospectively and then trying to explain the observed results. It's exactly the same here. If you have clear criteria for performance categories and standards, you can evaluate your people against a predetermined framework much less likely to be gamed. The second thing is to ensure that your performance criteria that you select are multidimensional. Now, it's really easy to fall in love with someone who produces great results in one performance dimension. For example, driving excellent commercial outcomes. But they may be terrible in other areas like working with others or leading people. Predetermined categories that cover the range of performance areas will keep you and your people honest. I've had so many arguments with leaders over the years about the way they've rated their people in this regard. When an executive once rated one of his direct reports as an exceptional performer, it was really easy for me to have this conversation. It went something like this. Sure, mate, if you only look at his ability to come up with innovative ideas, he probably gets six out of five. But if you look at his leadership, it's probably two out of five. His commercial acumen is probably three out of five, and his ability to work across boundaries is generous when we say it's one out of five. To me, when you take into account all the dimensions of leadership performance, he looks like an underperformer, not an exceptional performer. The third key to a successful and structured performance evaluation is to seek a range of opinions. If you want to overcome your biases of affiliation, recency, and identification, Seeking other views from people who work with certain individuals can be extremely helpful. And this is an area, of course, in which 360 degree feedback can be invaluable. Once you've got performance sorted out, then there's potential. Now, it's different from performance in that just because someone can do a job really well at their current level doesn't mean they're going to be able to do the job as well at the next level up. It's hard enough to evaluate performance which is pretty much there for everyone to see. To then make an assessment of whether someone will perform in the future is even harder. So how do you work this out? Well, I've made more mistakes than most in my career when assessing people's potential. I've many times in the past promoted really good middle managers to more senior roles, only to see them not cope with the demands of that level. So what should you look for? Well, once again, it should be methodical and look at both the capabilities and behaviours that are required at the next level up, whatever that next level is for the individual. The number one capability test is to ensure the individual has sufficient abstract reasoning capability to handle the additional complexity of the next level up. The higher up you go, the more important this is. There's a fairly standard aptitude test to measure abstract reasoning capability that's well-worn and reliable. I've learned over time not to hire anyone into a more senior role without administering this test and knowing exactly what their appetite for complexity is. For me, that's the most important marker to answer the question does this person have the capability to handle the demands of the job at the next level up? After that, you can look at a person's core values. Now, values are really hard, if not impossible, to change, so you better make sure they're what you want. Does this person have a solid work ethic? Do they do what's right rather than what's convenient at critical moments? Do they exemplify the values you're trying to instill in your people? Then there's a range of other behavioral indicators. Now, in episode 24, I went through a checklist of the types of things that you'd use to assess whether or not a leader is likely to grow. We actually produced a free downloadable from that episode, so it's definitely worth getting it from the website www.yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 24. Just to give you an idea of this, it incorporates things like, is someone willing to take on tougher and tougher challenges? Do they have the ability to learn from their mistakes and not repeat them? Do they have the confidence to take calculated risks to improve the value of their outcomes? The full checklist in the episode 24 downloadable, and any others you may wish to add of course, can bring a level of structured assessment to the conversation on someone's potential, albeit at a qualitative level. This can guide the conversation when leaders below you are telling you how wonderful their favourite promotion prospect is, and they'll enable you to cut through the biases by asking questions aligned to the criteria that you've set. Now, smaller companies, and those with less focus on talent and capability, won't necessarily have these processes in place for you to evaluate performance and potential. If that's the case, you can do something that's fit for purpose for your environment very quickly and simply and use it whenever the question arises. It doesn't have to be complicated and comprehensive, it just needs to work. Now the question is, is this harder now that we're working in a hybrid world? People have always gamed performance and potential assessments by relying on a few things. The first thing they relied upon is relationships. People who build strong relationships with those above them can often create a favourable environment for promotion. And there's nothing wrong with this at all, because without a strong relationship, you can't give your boss the visibility she needs to make a sensible assessment of your capability. But as a leader, when you're in a position of evaluating people, you need to look beyond the relationship in a more analytical and dispassionate way. The second tool that performance artists use is sanitising information that's passed upwards. The vast majority of people in organisational structures tend to downplay the negatives and accentuate the positives. It's just human nature. But you have to be a little more clever when evaluating someone's outcomes. Ask the hard questions about the failures and be diligent about assessing KPIs and performance. The third tool they use very often is blame-shifting. And make sure your people are taking accountability for what they do in all areas. Often, you'll see a trend of people owning success, regardless of how tenuous their role was in achieving it. They'll also try to distance themselves from failures, often at the expense of someone else. i got to say, after all my years of leading large groups of people, every excuse that I hear now just sounds to me like, the dog ate my homework. Now, this has always been an issue. And if you've been leading for any time at all, I'm sure that you've fallen prey to these obfuscations more than once, as I did during my corporate career. So how is it now harder in the world of hybrid work? Well, look, I'm no expert in hybrid and remote working, although apparently there's loads of people who now are, if you can believe their LinkedIn profiles. So I'm going to go back to the article and borrow Bartleby's description of the performative work phenomenon to give some guides from a leadership perspective about how to deal with people who are turning their jobs into a work of performance art. Are you listening to this episode thinking, wow, I'm really struggling to lead my people who are working from home? Well, I figured this would be the perfect opportunity to let you know about our No Bullshit Guide to Leading from Home Masterclass. I'm sure by now you've realised that it's relatively easy to work from home, but it's a hell of a lot harder to lead from home. This 70-minute masterclass will give you a suite of practical tools that you can implement immediately in order to get results from your people. You'll have them engaged and motivated, all while leading from your kitchen table. We released this masterclass with the book last year, and we've had incredible feedback on it. To join the masterclass, head to yourceomentor.com forward slash LFH. That's LFH, Lima Foxtrot Hotel, or Lead from Home. Okay, enjoy the rest of the episode. In the hybrid or virtual world, we have more tools to help us look busy, which many leaders still seem to use as a proxy for performance. In the office, people pretending to work often looked worried, walked around the office briskly and carried a clipboard. Being busy has never been a good way to judge performance, nor has time spent at the desk. There was one particular occasion in my life as a CEO when, as I was heading out of the office one evening, I saw one of the middle managers working back late. After initially being impressed, when I went over to his workstation to tell him to go home, I noticed that he wasn't actually working, but rather looking for a new car on carsales.com. He then volunteered, of course, that he was just waiting for his mates to meet him for drinks. These days, there are a bunch of other tools to help convey the illusion of productivity. Calendar management has become an art form. Using a full calendar as a virtue signal of hard work, commitment and productivity is commonplace in the performance artist. But it still tells us little about someone's performance. Email has also been weaponized. Long CC lists draw many more people than necessary into almost every thread. As does wide broadcasting on Slack and other instant messaging channels. To give the illusion of commitment and diligence, some people actually schedule emails to go at weird times, like early morning and weekends. And Zoom? Well, that's a double-edged sword. Chat channels can be used for evil rather than good. People looking engaged and thoughtful on Zoom is one way of seeming on top of things and useful, but in many cases it's just theatrics. And here's the kicker. Managers who aren't comfortable leading through outcomes will feel even more insecure now that it's harder to measure the inputs, like time in the office. Therefore, they're going to be much more susceptible to the gaming of the performance artist at work. On top of this, the current environment makes it even easier for the leader who is uncomfortable with leading to shirk their obligations. It's pretty easy to skip difficult conversations by saying, oh, everyone's meetinged out, so they'll be really grateful to not have another one. Enter the most interesting concept of Bartleby's article, optimal busyness. What an insightful concept. The theory goes that leaders will seek to achieve a level of busyness that neither overwhelms them nor leaves them with much time to think. So this gives the illusion of progress by hitting many small milestones while achieving very little. And of course, managers who are worried about losing sight of the slackers will always resort to micromanagement as their go-to remedy. So having said all of that, what's my evaluation of the situation? Well, performative work has always been in our corporate work culture to some extent. But now, the latest trends in technological and social change have made this much more streamlined. That is to say, it's easier for someone to get by on the strength of their performative work and harder for a leader to recognize it. How do we cut through performative work in our hybrid world? Well, it can be a little tricky for sure. Remember, trend is your friend, so always look for trends and patterns in your people's behaviour and performance. Here are five ways to cut through the performative work facade, and we've got this as a free downloadable at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 178. The first remedy is to use some form of structured assessment. Now, earlier in the episode, I spoke about setting up the framework for evaluating performance and potential in a more methodical way. This can be applied to the world of hybrid or remote work as readily as it can to -to face-to-face work. The difficulty is you have to be even more deliberate in your data collection, even more dispassionate in your assessment of people's performance and potential, and even more diligent in the way you challenge the leaders below you. The second thing is to look only at outcomes. I talk all the time about delivering value. Work has become more transactional in the hybrid world. A task is assigned and a task is completed, or not. We've lost that nuance of innovation, collaboration, and problem solving, and in the long term, I think that's going to show out in organisational performance. You're going to have to look through the mere completion of tasks and instead work out who is seeking out and delivering real value. This will also help you to overcome the optimum busyness syndrome that Bartleby talked about. The third remedy is implement strong single-point accountabilities. Now, I talk about this all the time. Strong single-point accountabilities is the key to execution excellence. But blame shifting has become so much easier because there are fewer opportunities to get all the key players in the same virtual room. You're trying to create a culture of accountability that can be described as no blame, no excuses. Now, I'm not going to go into accountability here in any detail. Um, It's the punchline of the book, and we have a whole module dedicated to it in Leadership Beyond the Theory. But I will refer you back to another episode, and that is episode 19 Execution for Results. Not only is it a great statement of how accountability drives execution excellence, but you'll also be able to marvel at how shit my delivery was in the early days of this podcast. Remedy number four reduce the number of meeting attendees to the absolute minimum. This is especially important in the world of Zoom fatigue. If you want to put out a fire, remove the oxygen from the room. Busy work thrives on meetings. Remove the expectation of busyness and instead make a virtue of efficiently delivering value. If you can do this, you'll change the paradigm. What gets measured gets managed and what gets rewarded gets done. Reward the right things. And finally, number five, provide ample opportunity for communication with all of your direct reports. Quite often, the performance artist will spend a lot of time trying to schmooze with you, cozy up to you, and influence your impression of them. If you don't allow any individual to dominate your bandwidth, there's less likelihood you'll fall under their spell of self-promotion and impression management. The key rule is still, spend 80% of your time with your very best people. If you use the right criteria to determine what best is, you're much more likely to avoid being sucked in by performative work. We've covered a lot of ground in this episode, so let's just tie some of the ends together. It's true that it's harder when working remotely to identify, manage, and grow the talent and capability of your team. But there have always been those in the workplace, in organizations large and small, that spend more time avoiding work than actually doing it. They spend their energy shoring up their power and status through politics rather than performance. And ambitious people will always try to find the fastest way to the top. If you're a great leader, only the ones who are doing it the right way will actually get there. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 178. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with your leadership network, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on whatever your favorite player is. I look forward to next week's episode, Survival of the Fittest. Until then, I know you take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.